Are you there, Mike? More testing. I'm here. Didn't go anywhere. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's beginning in the middle of the quarter. And uh, we've gone through two polar vortexes already. <laughs> How do you handle the polar well, vortex? Well, I was sick that week, so I handled it by staying inside. I did not go outside and let loose with a barbaric... Yelp. Yelp. <laughs> like you did. <laughs> did you hear uh, some people were taking water and uh, spraying it oh, in yeah, the air? Oh, yeah, I saw and that. It was freezing in midair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's fun to watch. these wonderful art, artistic uh, expressions. I was talking to one of our deans here, and she showed me a screenshot of the weather in Russia that week. And it was like negative 40 every day. She's like, yeah, it's not that bad here. Yeah, come on. This is like uh, spring in Saskatchewan, for Pete's sake. Did you grow up with it being this cold? No. No. Uh, in case you didn't know, Saskatchewan is in the middle of Canada, and I grew up in Ontario. You peeps. you. you I know where Ontario is. You peeps who grew up in Michigan, man. Mm-hmm. You, you, uh, on the border, it's like Canada doesn't even exist for you people. <laughs> it does exist. Just uh, you go across the border to Windsor, Ontario. Yeah, from to Detroit. So, if you were an older high school senior and you turned eighteen, a lot of guys would go across the border to go, you know, gambling and drinking. Because in Canada, the laws. Okay, are so far you're not winning any more Canadian listeners with this little. Uh, I'm just telling you what Americans uh, would do. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, crossed North America, and this includes the wonderful country of Canada. I just want to say that one half of this team loves. Canada and appreciates I, it for I, all I, I you I was in are. Montreal recently. I loved being in Montreal. That was great. Okay. Um, Toronto. I spent a lot of time in Toronto. Um, BC. Love BC. Went hiking through the Canadian Rockies about 10 years ago. Okay. I'm just trying to save myself. I just want to say it seems like you're trying a little too hard here, Mike Moore, but that's okay. Not all of us have dual hey, citizenship. We appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen... It's another Theology on Mission Here we are. Uh, podcast, and uh, we've missed you. I hope you've missed us. Uh, have you missed me, Mike Moore? Um, a yeah, little bit. Yes. 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 Yes, I have. Oh, come on. That, that was forced if I ever heard a yes. <laughs> what are we talking it's about good to be today? Back. It's good to be back. Uh, we're, we're here talking about uh, church and politics, um, to be more specific. The way yeah. that politics creates antagonisms in the church, and we're you know we're on the the next uh, and the last poly, uh, podcast uh, based on my upcoming book, The Church of Us Versus Them, and uh, Beyond a Faith that feeds on making enemies, and we want to talk about the pol- church and politics. Um, here, but but before we get into that, church yes. um, has gotten caught up into an us versus them dynamic in many parts of the United States mm-hmm. and dare I say even Canada. And I feel like it's wearing us out. It drain church of us versus them drains our energy into an antagonism that takes all our energy in fighting an enemy and it takes us out of the life of God in and for the world do you sense that yeah, yeah. what's kind of happening in sense that people are just tired just tired of it tired getting, getting of, exhausted 
tired of the arguing and mm-hmm. the enemy enemy making and you know um all i can say is uh i think we're coming to a time especially as we head into the next election here in the united states at least yeah. um where uh a challenge is going forth to be something different to be not a people that take sides and and that's what we're talking about today in the elections mm-hmm. but to become a people that models a different kind of politics right a different way to do politics yeah or to be a politic and so uh what we want to talk about here just at the outset is the way the idea or the concept of christian nation has become the means by which we divide ourselves and turn our churches into an us versus them. And um, I, I, I want to say at the outset, though, that the idea of the United States becoming a Christian nation actually has positive roots mm-hmm. in, in church life in America, especially previous to the Civil War. Um, I studied with a guy named Don Dayton, who now lives in Pasadena, California, and he taught me about all the things that happened, especially amongst the holiness churches and the revivalists and the, we, the awakenings, where people were working against slavery, the abolitionists, where people were supporting women's rights, fighting poverty, supporting like this broader expectation that God was working in this country to renew mm-hmm. a, a people for himself. Now, I don't think... I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't think that's all bad. In fact, I think no. that's good. When, when was that? Pre-Civil War. Okay. And and the First and Second Awakenings. Uh, and, you know, now we sing the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and it means something completely different than it sure. meant uh, 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but what happens is, and, and I try to describe this in the book Church of Us Versus Them, is a belief that once had some goodness to it and really helped us engage and practice the life of Jesus Christ and his lordship in the world, got pulled out of it and sucked into an enemy-making machine. And when did, and when did that happen? Just give me a little well, timeline here. I don't want to go deep into it because it will get really boring really fast. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, post-World War II, well, pre-World War II, the fundamentalists, the the uh, ancestors of the evangelicals were anti-culture and were withdrawn from gotcha. culture. Mm-hmm. Something happened after World War II. It's a long story. But people like Carl F. Henry and Billy Graham started calling us to engage in uh, culture. And somewhere around the late 70s, early 80s this guy named jerry falwell yeah, the republican right started to decry the uh moral degradation of a culture and he said we need to reclaim mm-hmm. our nation as a christian nation and he got aligned through devious okay means maybe. he okay forget the devious forget the devious means mm-hmm. he got aligned with republican politics in ways which turned out to be infortuitous yeah compromising compromising yes. and got us caught into an enemy making machine and so now what we had was a church which worked on the ground for justice mm-hmm. became extract extracted 
the idea of justice out of what we did on the ground in people's lives in neighborhoods in town hall meetings in in underground railroads uh against slavery working it, it local uh political organizing and it got extracted into okay who are we going to vote for and why hmm. and you could say this dynamic started to happen where jerry falwell aligned uh uh, evangelicals with the Republican Party. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember voter guides being handed out on mm-hmm. Sunday morning services in your There's, church service. Right? Really? Yes. You don't. You never had never Mm-mm. happened. No. And um, uh, that's wild. Yeah. And biblical justifications for supporting candidates were, who were anti-abortion, who were for prayers in school, mm-hmm. prayer in school, who were for the Ten Commandments, who mm-hmm. were f- who were for. Um, um, various other ideas and actually got aligned with in strange ways um, against welfare. I mean, it, it can get very boring to see how individual responsibility got tied to an understanding of original sin mm-hmm. and justified voting Republican. At the oh, same yeah. time, so what we have here, let's try to explain it. What we have here is the Bible being used or or biblical Christianity being used to rally uh, Christians to get certain people in power right to uh, to uh, organize and institute a particular legislation right. for a Christian nation right and that's and that's still happening meanwhile it happens on the other side right and so Jim Wallace has famously come up with the Isaiah platform and God's politics and justifying a, a, a very democratic, progressive, liberal platform, mm-hmm. you know, for health care. Right. Immigration. Immigration. All these things which are Welfare. inherently Christian. Yep. Uh, and we are now voting. Now, now we got Christians aligned uh, f- for biblical reasons, voting for one party versus another. And in the name of, even though Jim Wallace does not use the name Christian nation, it's still the Christian nation concept. Would you agree with that? Or you think I'm a little hard <clears throat> on developing the way these concepts no, have no. turned into an enemy making machine? No, I don't, I don't think you're hard on it. I think it's, if you listen or watch the news right now, you see that everywhere, especially with, with the, Christians. Though? Yeah. With, yeah. With Christians right now it's in the news because the, uh, uh, abortion's been in the news. Uh, oh yeah, um, because the you know the the supreme supreme court justices are um, tilted to the right con- Republican. If we want to call pro life right, right, yeah. If that's like the way that we're gonna you know define left and right. So right now you know uh, abortion's a big issue, and um, you see uh, evangelicals you know coming behind Donald Trump and behind the Supreme Court justices. Um, and they feel like they have some momentum to win the culture war at this moment. Yeah, and so um, I argue, uh, maybe don't argue, I propose, I have to keep, see, the, one, one of the reasons why I wrote this book is I'm so antagonistic myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I need this book we're, more than anybody. We're all working out our own issues through what we write and talk on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I, I write this. All our energies are directed into this mess of antagonism. And the daily tasks of simply being present to the sick, of unwinding the sexual confusion of the ones around us, 
oh, we, we don't have time for that. We have to go rally against gay marriage or for gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about just sitting and being with people, sorting out our sexuality today and yeah. talking about it? What about ten? We. The daily task of tending to our brothers and sisters who are persecuted because of their country of origin and of sharing with the poor all go ignored. Hmm. And when this happens, I suggest, we have a sure sign that we've lost touch with the actual struggles of justice in the world and with the one who makes and is working for all justice to be possible. Hmm. Um, That's my argument. Is this kind of enemy-making? Yeah takes us out of the work for justice yes not further into it right because it's easy to rally behind a banner or rally behind a cause but it's harder to actually be in relationship with people who um need justice well we just don't have time for it because we're too busy and and i know it's just our energy i mean maybe it's too busy but i i i want to get away from the too busy comment what do you want to because spending time with the poor Mm mm-hmm Probably, you know how we used to go to prayer meeting every Wednesday night? Yes, yeah. And pray for people in a, in a room? Mm-hmm. Instead of praying for people in a room, let's just go be with people on the same night for the same three hours and pray for them where we're at. Let's mm-hmm. just go be with the poor yeah. and pray with them. Uh, it doesn't take any more extra time. Mm-hmm. It just changed a different way of understanding how to be with uh, uh, the hurting and the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, so we have this... Uh, Christian nation, which once was um, a powerful practice of we are working for God to manifest his reign over the whole world. I I have no problems with that. When you say we, you're referring to Christians. Christian, okay, gotcha. And um, I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is when we extract the idea and turn it into a banner and make it into something we get behind. Uh, and every banner needs an enemy. Mm-hmm. So now it's Christians right. against Christians fighting over what is God's Christian nation, and we don't get anywhere. Right. right. Can Can anyone say an amen to that out there? Hello? I think I, I, can't I, think I heard so, there's somebody in Saskatchewan. Is that right? <laughs> I think just said <laughs> I was purposely silent. So, so what, is the, um, what is the alternative? What is the... Every chapter here, I try to present an alternative practice. Kind of, kind of every other chapter, right? Every you, you, other. You chapter. diagnose the the problem or the issue, and then you s- suggest and propose a way forward. Yeah, and um, so like I'll start with you, Mike Moore. Yeah, uh, I say, I entitle this chapter: "The Local Church Is My Politics." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and and uh, I don't know if people out there on Radio Land get what I'm trying to say, but I think you might get what I'm yeah, trying to say. Ecclesia. The local church is my politics. So the way that we gather, our our belief and our practice makes a way of life. So the way that we make decisions, we um, assign leadership, the way that we steward our money, those are all part of um, an organized body. And politic or politics refers to how a community organizes and how they believe and practice and hold certain um habits and traditions um, in the yeah. world. I lost it there at the end, but I think you Well, no, I think it. you're getting at what I'm trying to say here. And, and so let's take let's take healthcare. Um uh before, I mean, we I, we need to work out 
in my local body, what we're going to do is some people who are sick who can't afford health care. Mm-hmm. We ourselves need to figure out, hey, you know, so-and-so can't afford health insurance because uh, certain people in certain places, I don't want to turn this into an antagonism, but they, they repealed and replaced or whatever. Sure. Okay. Uh, but, but the point is, I got to work that out in a church. Right. And when we see how to work that out here, we take it to the town hall. Hey, let's start. We advocate taking care of the people who can't cover their own health care. Now, this might take money. This might take other mm-hmm. solutions. We might have to, let's say, work with some Christian doctors who are willing to donate, donate some time. Uh, any number of solutions. But I'm working that politics out on the ground. Right. And then, as I, I say, then take it to maybe the state or then take it maybe to the nation right. after we take it right. to the state. Yeah. My politics starts here. Right. So if we're going to talk about affordable housing, maybe we don't start with legislating uh, at Congress. We look around and we say, oh, I have a spare bedroom. Yeah. You know. um, when, uh, when the whole immigration debate was happening in the first six months of Donald Trump's um, uh, presidency, um, there were a few of us, and I talk about this in the book, a few of us that were talking about the concept of a sanctuary church. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a sanctuary church is that uh, this dates back to the middle, middle Ages. The property of the church is uh, free from the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, actually under the reign of the Lordship of Christ, so it's exempt from taxes, Mm -hmm. and we are basically under a different political reign than the rest of the world or the rest of the city or the rest of my town. And therefore, we can declare ourselves a sanctuary church, and we can invite immigrants to stay in the confines of our church Mm -hmm. and be free from the oppressive uh, legislation against them outside the world. And we can testify to what it means to love and welcome and take care of uh, the immigrants and work out their relationship to the rest of the world under the protection of the reign of Christ. In other words, the sanctuary church, the church is my politics, the local church. That's where I'm working out. And then Mm -hmm. we take it larger. Um, I say this about the sanctuary. It turned out we couldn't do it because we didn't actually own the church property. But I said the sanctuary church still captures my imagination as we continue to discern the issues of our day, discerning God's justice together, one issue at a time, as it pertains to the real issues in our neighborhood, thwarts the enemy-making machine that would divide our church into positions at the voting booth. The church is a space that's beyond enemies because we discern together what God is doing to heal the world and what he's calling us to do Mm -hmm. right here in this place. Right. So it's moving people towards relationships with each other. And and actual politics. You know, the word politics is, is a word that is, uh, uh, it, it, it means how we gather together mm-hmm. and function as a social body together. Yeah. And we, we have money. We have food. <clears throat> we have other issues. We've got to discern how to deal with conflict. We have health care issues. Mm-hmm. We have how do we care for our neighbor, the immigrant, all these issues. Right. And what um, what I'm saying by saying the local church is my politics is I think I'm saying let's start here. That doesn't forego going out and taking what we learn into the town hall or into the state government capitol building mm-hmm. or even to Washington, D.C. But it says we start here 
and go then go out there right. have you seen any instances of this working as when you were a pastor there in in Loyola hmm. on campus at a campus large yeah. university campus yeah i'm thinking of i think of one student in particular who couldn't pay for tuition um and was short some money on tuition yeah um and our church coming alongside that student uh, and helping him uh, in a couple different ways. One was um, with housing. Um, so he was paying to live in the dorms, which was a ridiculous amount of money. So we were able to get him off-campus housing to stay for free um, in one of our church family's home. Um, and then actually, to bump it up to the next level, um, because we had befriended several of the Jesuits on campus and got to know some of the deans, we were able to actually find a scholarship to cover his last semester in college. That is um, so cool. Yeah. And, and, and that was just through some relationships that we had built over time. Um, so th- th- those are some of the ways that we did it there. Yeah. Um, you have one, right? A dentist? Don't you have a dentist story? Oh, yes. Uh, I think I've used that dentist story before. Okay, Let yeah. me tell another story. <laughs> Tommy Douglas was a Baptist pastor in Saskatchewan. Love that place. <laughs> Amen. You really ought to get to know Saskatchewan. I'm going. Folks, peeps in Saskatchewan, I'm going to be there, and I look forward to it because I love Saskatchewan. I'm going to be there next mo- nice. month in March. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. But the guy named Tommy Douglas, Baptist pastor, uh, started the first health co-op. As I understand the story, and I haven't done all right. my research, but his health care spread to the city. I believe it was Sas- Sas- Saskatoon, mm-hmm. maybe Regina. But the whole province became the experiment for provincial health care. Oh, interesting. That's in the early 70s. Today, Canada has national health care, largely mm-hmm. because of a little Baptist pastor hmm. in Saskatchewan. So all you little Baptist governor. pastors out there. <laughs> yeah, we expect big things <laughs> right, from you right. Baptist pastors out there. But you see how local politics yeah, ferments yeah. and yeah. disrupts uh, for the kingdom, yeah. we see we see that in Chicago, in Lawndale, West Side, yes. with Wayne Gordon, yes, and plenty of other churches on the South and West Side. You know, uh, speaking of that, uh, Clarence Jordan um, was um, a pastor and a farmer in Georgia, and he's famous for starting the Koinonia Farms. Mm-hmm. This is in the fifties and sixties, Jim Crow South, and um, instead of start, so there was just horrific racism, horrific poverty as a result of racism and oppression in Georgia and the other states of the South. And instead of starting with legislatures of his township and state, what did Clarence Jordan do? He he started a church. Instead of trying to change the laws, he started with real life. In the words of his partner, Martin England, he said, if the barriers that divide man and cause wars, race, conflict, economic competition, class struggle, labor, dis- labor disputes are ever to be broken down, they must be broken down in small groups of people living side by side. Yeah. And they started with a small community formed of black and white people together, sitting at meals, sharing uh, tools and farming tips and they practiced racial reconciliation and the fellowship was deep amazing and rich and he called it a demonstration plot for the kingdom 
and other demonstration plots for the kingdom happened, as known uh, by the SNCC communities, S-N-C-C, a student nonviolent coordinating committees, mm-hmm. little prayer meetings of African Americans and uh, white together praying and disrupting the Jim Crow South, and that led to the civil rights movements. And so when I say the church, the local church is my politics, I'm talking about this. This is what I'm talking about. Let us gather in groups of people, 50 to 100 to 200, discern what God is calling us to do Mm -hmm. and be in each locale, breaking down the walls of racism, uh, uh, delving deep into the confusions and issues to be discerned in sexuality, immigration, other religions. How can we make space for God to work and disrupt the politics of evil that mm-hmm. is so much part of our land today. This is going well beyond the politics of us versus them. Yes, that's good. And it requires us to be in a relationship and in community with uh, with other people and not just community in, in some vague sense, but I think it's a lot easier to get behind a banner or to put a hashtag out or to make a comment that's a lot easier than it is to be in deep abiding relationship with people and trying to discern these um, issues together. Yes, because of our habits of church, right? And because of the habits of the way we've been doing church. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty hard for a pastor to raise the issue of racism in a church if half his congregation are engaged in racial racist practices he's going to disrupt the congregation and we're so used to not being challenged but being catered to uh uh, with our religious needs Mm -hmm. that we never get confronted but i have found especially in the younger generations they are um desiring so much more they want to be a people of racial reconciliation. And if that means they're going to have to be realize some things by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and listening to their brothers and sisters that are not them, it's, it's, I I don't think it's going to take more time. I just think it's going to take different habits and cultivating a different vision for church. Yes. Yes. And I, and I think especially for people who are called to lead the church, it's going to take a different type of formation, right? It's not the kind of formation that says, Hey, just, come to seminary, take these three classes on how to preach a sermon, and you're set. Yes. like th- These are different types of practices and postures uh, that are required. It, it, it's even different than, uh, oh, we have racism in our community, and we have racism in our church. Let's preach five sermons on, on how not to be racist. Right. It's, yes. even, it's, it's so yes. much different than yep. that. Yep. And uh, there are, there are uh, just practices of coming together and discerning issues Mm -hmm. in our community and town. And by the way, I have a little section in the book on Ecclesia and how this is actually what was the practice of Ecclesia in the Greco-Roman period of which Mm -hmm. that word word came from. And so I believe God's calling us to a new practice of politics as the church today, out of the us versus them. You want to do a little Fitch on Fitch? Have I exhausted you today? Hmm. Are you tired? I, I, I kind of am. I think it's because I didn't eat lunch, though. Mm. Yeah. But I have some lunch upstairs, so I'm excited to get done with this and then go upstairs and get some <laughs> lunch. Do you, well, do, do you want to – sorry, were you going somewhere? No, no, I was just going to say uh, thanks for listening for these uh, three podcasts on the uh, Church of Us yeah, versus Them. And if you want to uh, read the galleys for free – and put a review on Amazon.com. 
um, please write me at fitchest at gmail. I'll put you in the queue. And we have 50 copies of the hardback copy to send out if indeed you do put a Amazon.com review on. So anyways, we look forward to that. And feel free to write me, and I, I, I look forward to hearing from you. Now, what, what, what do you have going on here uh, with your computer? It's yeah. very suspicious. I'm kind of worried <laughs> you're going to pull a fast one. Well, I, uh, we're going to do a f- Fitch on Fitch. This one is not as old. This is uh, recent. Yeah, because the last few podcasts you've been pulling out old mm-hmm. Fitch versus Fitch, yeah. and, and frankly, it hasn't. I've been made his eyes water. Yeah, it was a little bit emotional, but yeah, it's this not. was a little. It was a little heavier, but I appreciate it because um, I think I've been on the end of being accused of this. Really? Yeah. So can I read this to you? Sure. January twenty ninth. 6.55 a.m. Get up early, don't you? I do. The perennial critique of the ethic of nonviolence, mutual submission, and presence oh boy. Oh boy. is that it is an ethic of privilege. Yeah. You want me to read anything else? Should I stop there? No, keep going. It is easy for those in power, sheltered from abuse by their position, to advocate for nonviolence when they themselves, when they have not themselves been subject to violence. How can a white male ethicist counsel to suffer in the midst of violence when I am so far from it? So this is the uh, struggle of people like you and me Mm -hmm. um, who are white, have privilege, and uh, are delving into the Anabaptist understanding of how God works in the world. And, uh, boy, I was just talking to somebody today at length about this. Um, How do we... Uh, call people to engage in the power of presence and nonviolence and reject worldly power uh, when it's easy for us to do so. Right, right. And um, it's uh, kind of like, you know, uh, we've, uh, it's kind of like United States um, polluting the world with Mm -hmm. industry you know, steel, car manufacturing, everything. And, and we polluted the whole world and we're going in and then going to China who is, you know, 20 years into this and say, <laughs> right. okay, you can't pollute yeah. the world. We've How got all the you? riches from all the industrial. <laughs> okay, but now you guys got to stop it. Stop polluting. Yeah, now that we've got the power, right? you're telling us not to use it, whereas you've used it to gain advantage. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do this except to say that uh, we must always give up power first. Right. And it makes space for God to work in whatever conflict, antagonism, or struggle, or thing we're trying to discern. And uh, the second thing is we must, through Scripture, understand how God works. That very little, I call it preservatory power, is accomplished through the the powers and principalities, Mm -hmm. which, which, by the way, are not always in rebellion against God. But when they turn against God, they turn evil. Mm -hmm. But they can preserve, like police force or government, can do good things to preserve society, Mm -hmm. but they can't redeem society. Mm -hmm. And I believe we're called to redeem and reconcile and heal, to make space for God to do all those things in the world. But this is a big struggle, folks. And and this is why we need everybody in the conversation. And this is why uh, I submit to you is always the first approach to anyone who differs or has a question mm-hmm. or open the conversation and listen very clearly. I don't know if that's an initial salvo to try and answer that question, but it's not a very good yeah. one. There's a lively, it was a lively conversation on Facebook. So 
If you yeah. want to look that up, you can jump in there. Anyways, we appreciate everybody so much for being with us on Theology on Mission podcast today and listening. And uh, if you can, uh, write us a review on iTunes. Yes. Send us out and invite other people to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we enjoy being with you. We're doing this. We're, we're, we're hitting on all cylinders now. Whew. And we're going once every other zone. week. And so uh, we hope to see you next time on Theology on Mission podcast. Thanks for listening.